You're listening to Tokenverse. Our guest today is David Kay, partner at Liddy Capital. Tokenverse is brought to you by FMFW.io, the exchange designed to free the money, free the world. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by various guests or sponsors of the podcast are solely their own. They do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast host or the other people, entities, or organizations affiliated with the creation or production of the podcast. The guest and sponsor may consider their information reliable, but others involved in the creation or presentation of the podcast do not warrant the accuracy of guest or sponsor information, and it should not be relied upon. Hi, welcome to Tokenverse. I'm Dustin Planel, your host. Join us each week as we navigate through the world of cryptocurrency. With thousands of projects to choose from, it is at times overwhelming. Some of them have the ability to change the world, while others will leave you holding the bag. On this show, we will uncover the hidden gems, find the unicorns, and meet the visionaries themselves. Let's bring our visionary on now. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. You know, I loved in the pre-show, you know, you and I really talking about what's going on in this market, uh, what's happening around the world and how the the attention and the eyes are on it. But let's start with you, David. I mean, what got you involved in the cryptocurrency ecosystem? How did it begin? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. So for the better part of the last decade, I've actually been in traditional finance. Um, I was one of the founding partners and the portfolio manager for a billion dollar plus private equity firm um, focused on litigation and arbitration financing. Um, it was very successful. We ended up doing about 30 to 50% cash on cash returns every single year. I left there about a year and a half ago now. And, and you know, I've been lucky in that I've done pretty well for myself. And so I decided that I was going to sit on boards for a little while. Um, and I sat on boards of a number of large private equity funds and public companies, uh, which was nice. And then I got a call from my partner, Jonas, that was either the most fun call I've gotten in a long time or the worst call. And we'll, you know, we'll know at some point in the next couple <laughs> of years. But he convinced me to get involved in this, in this crazy idea um, in crypto. And, and what he told me was that now was the time to bring private equity to the blockchain. Um, and for me, the idea of decentralization of finance and access to capital and funds equally for everybody uh, is important to me for a couple of reasons. The first is that it always bothered me. I, I come from nothing. I'm the first member of my family to go to anything other than a community college. And my parents were not allowed to invest in my private equity fund because in the United States, unless you have a million dollars of liquidity, uh, you're not permitted to invest in my strategy, which if you Google litigation financing returns is objectively the top returning strategy in private equity in the last 10 years because they didn't have a million dollars of liquidity. And some of the smartest people I know don't have a million dollars of liquidity. And some of the stupidest people that I know do. Um, you know, And that being the dividing line um, is something that always bothered me. Um, I also, when I was in private equity, I traveled around the world. I traveled about 200 days a year. And if you think about a place like Venezuela, where I spent a lot of time, before cryptocurrency was there, 
um, it was at a point where you would work, work, work. And by the time you got paid, your paycheck would be worthless because the government, well, the inflation on the currency um, was beyond control, right? There was no ability for people to transact. And so seeing the world that way and being focused on decentralization um, in a different context got me excited about the idea of actually bringing private equity to everyone. Um, and so that got me halfway there. The other thing that got me there is Jonas ultimately agreed that we would spend five to 10% of everything that we raise on fighting scams. So people who lost, you know, 25, 50,000, $100,000, where there's no place for them to turn. Because the reality is if somebody steals from you and you want to get it back, you, you can but it's expensive and it's time consuming. And if you lose $25,000, there really are no good options for you because it's simply not economical uh, for anyone like me to step in and and help. And so we agreed to take five to 10% of every dollar we raise uh, and put it towards doing good, uh, which is important to me. So those two things got me to jump into crypto. And from that, Liddy Capital was born and we are the first private equity fund on the blockchain, private equity for everyone, and uh, and we're, we're we're really proud of it. You know what I, I think is fascinating that you went from a highly regulated, you know, highly regulated regulatory type space into a space that, while it's not the wild west like it used to be, it has a lot of eyes on it and it has a lot of different opinions. Yeah. So how's that been for you? I mean, transitioning from where you know you knew it was either black or white, and now you're in this space where they're like, well, it's gray, and you go just but just give us an answer. How do you do business in that? You know, it's funny. So to me, it does still feel like the wild, wild west. Um, You're right. You know, I I come from a very regulated environment. um, And while things have gotten more clear uh, as a comparison point, um, it feels very wild. Um, And I, for one, am very focused. I I welcome some regulation. And I think that for me and for Liddy Capital, I think the dividing line for us. So first of all, we are set up for regulation. Okay. So we have a Liddy token and we have a W Liddy, which is our trading token. And so if tomorrow um, the US government or the EU came out and said, everything needs to be regulated as though it's a security, our investors would be fine. Okay. So we are set up in a way because this is important because one day people are going to regulate. And where you have your money and making sure that that doesn't immediately go to zero uh, the next day is something that we were, we were very focused on. So we, we have set that up for our company. For an industry, I have a clear line. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up because I, I, I find this part to be very important. The community assets, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, minimal to no regulation. Right? I'm not in favor of any material regulation on those. Those are actual community assets. The companies that utilize community assets to make profit off of people, those need to be regulated. And I think that those companies are very good at cloaking themselves in this idea that they're part of decentralization and shouldn't be regulated. Um, but it's not, it's not correct, right? If you think about the internet 10 or 15 years ago, it's a great example. The internet brought a lot of information and ability to access things 
to people all around the world that they never had. Similar to the blockchain, very similar to crypto and the blockchain. Today, the internet is still largely unregulated. It's still largely free. But at some point, we stood up as a group and said, this thing has gotten big enough where we need to have some basic rules around, right? We need to make sure that companies like Google or Amazon, right? Any of these companies that they can't just go out and do whatever they want because they say it's the internet. And I, and I think that to me, the blockchain is very similar. I, I think the blockchain is a community asset. I think it should remain largely unregulated. I think it should remain largely free. But I think those companies that are interacting with it in a purely for-profit sense, it is, a, it is the scourge of the community that we do not have some protection and some rules for those companies. So how do you do that though? I mean, how do you regulate this space when you have organizations that are located all over the world or founders that are all over the world? I mean, it's both, right? It's locations and founders that are all over the world. And I think, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about this, but I think Binance is a great example of that. I give them huge props. I, I give them kudos. They are the first people, to my knowledge, that have set up a company and a large financial company. Um, where they have no headquarters, they have no offices, and they have effectively skirted regulation because of exactly what you're saying. And, and I think it is a new kind of company. And I think that what you're saying right now is exactly what the regulators around the world are trying to figure out. We are watching that process go on right now as we speak. And we are going to start to figure it out. And, and I think you're starting to see that. So you went from Binance basically saying no regulation anywhere to, you know, in the last week they've said, okay, okay, we're going to accept some regulation because ultimately when you get to the point where you're that size and you're a financial entity, um, I think that every place you're operating, the regulators have their focus on you. And while you can certainly evade regulation in a lot of places, if you're smart about it, Trying to evade it everywhere um, is hard. And, and so I think that we are grappling with that question right now. And, and I'll tell you, I think we're a part of that conversation. I think Liddy Capital, you, we are trying to lead that conversation with this steering committee for Binance from the consumer side. And I think that's important, right? The regulators are trying to figure out what they're going to do from the regulatory side. But what about the consumers? What about the people that use the product every day? What is going to happen with them? What are the rules around that? And that's why we have this claim against Binance. That's why we've set up financeclaim.com to the extent that you have been harmed by them, right? We are trying to put together a group so that not only do the regulators have a voice, but the consumers have a voice. And, and I'm, I'm very, very interested to talk about the consumer piece, especially. Because I think that that poses very, very unique challenges. You know, it's interesting that this space does attract a significant amount of scams from, from a YouTube, send, uh, send some Ethereum here to, to Twitter, um, to these things called rug pulls. I mean, what are some of the scams that you have, that you've seen that have just made you go, wow, I mean, wow, in the sense of truly brilliant that the way they were designed, because these scams fool even 
the best of the best people in the space, meaning the people that have been around the longest that they typically know what to stay away from, yet some of them are still falling for these new scams. So one ubiquitous thing that I have seen in this space is whoever I talk to, um, you you accepted so far, right? But almost everybody that I talk to, when they turn off the camera, they say, let me tell you the story about how I was scammed. And so I think that it is everybody. Uh, So what are my favorites? My favorites are probably the ones that are numbers based. So I'm a math guy, right? And so we see a lot of scams where people go to, uh, you know, we've been working with BitBoy um, to try and help them. A lot of these larger influencers are names where these people are basically doing like spam emails, right? 10 or 15 years ago, where they're just going out to all these groups over and over and over again. Um, with different really silly scams, like click this link, you know, BitBoy wants to give you $10 and they play the numbers Um, and they get some small percentage, right? 10 basis points, 20 basis points, and they get them for less money um, than anyone could ever do anything about. uh, And they make a fortune and we track these people back. And what's interesting about it is that it's all the same person, right? It's like, it's like, this large group in, I'm not going to say the name for them, but like a large group in a, in a city, in a country who's very organized, right? It's very professional. They hire like 30 people, they pay them hourly wages, right? And it's just, it is a straight up business. So it's organized, Um, it's organized crime is what you're saying. Oh, it's absolutely organized crime, unequivocally. And what's amazing about it is what you were saying about the regulators is that there's really nothing that most people can do about it. So let's say you're in country A and you have an organized crime ring where you're stealing from people that only have VPNs outside of that country, which is what they do. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get a criminal complaint together, get it filed, get it approved? You have to get a conviction in your country. Then you have to bring it to that country. Get them to care, get them to stay. I mean, it is, it is, it's not, it's not worth it. That's, that's the problem. It's it, it, your, your $50 or your $3,000. It's, it's just not, and they know this is what you're saying. They They know know it. It's, it's planned exactly that way. And the worst part about it from my perspective is we all have this idea that the good guys win. And one of the hardest things about being in my seat. And what I see is that it's actually not true. Um, A lot of the times the bad guys do win. And the good days for me, um, the good days for Liddy Capital are when, you know, what we do is we come in to help. And when we make money for ourselves, for our investors and for the people who are harmed, that's a good day. But you would be surprised, maybe even shocked at how, what a small percentage of the time it is. Um, that the good guys actually win. It's fascinating insight and perspective. So this case against Ripple, David, while Liddy Capital is not involved, and this is purely your opinion, you know, what do you think, I mean, this outcome, when the SEC comes back, either they deem it a security, XRP versus non, what's the fallout ultimately? It's huge. I, I think it's absolutely huge. The question of what is a security and what is not a security cannot be underestimated in terms of the developed world. If what we have is a security, then there are rules around it 
um, that are the same as they are for any company that goes public that offers, you know, uh, securities or stock or bonds to the public. And what it means is that in order for your product to be listed, there needs to be probably 300 to $2 million of work that goes into it and six to nine months of negotiating with regulatory authorities before you can offer it to the public. In some ways, it's a disaster for the industry. In some ways, it's the next step for the industry. And I think that the decision that the SEC has there is going to be huge. But what I think is more important is going to be how they decide it. I don't believe that the SEC would take this on if they weren't going to make some promulgation as to where the line is between what is a security and what is not a security. And so, and the difficulty that they're going to have is that the broader they make the definition of security, the less people are going to follow it. They're simply going to go to other countries and other jurisdictions. They're going to let people VPN in to buy and sell. And we're going to have this further fracture between legitimate and illegitimate, the wild, wild west and structure. But at the same time, the SEC is not going to say, in my opinion, I do not believe that the SEC is simply going to say, it's the wild, wild west. We have no ability to regulate these currencies or entities or products that are offered to the U.S. consumer. And so I, I think that they are probably spending a lot of time trying to figure out what the wording is going to be um, for what qualifies and what does not qualify as a security. You know, so my, my next question, you can say, hey, Dustin, I, I can't uh, respond to it, is that there there is a large group of people that believe that this is beyond politics, that many of the people that support these politicians and ultimately help to keep them reelected are helping to push them in a particular direction, a direction against many of these companies and against tokens and against coins. I mean, do you think that is part of the problem? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I guess what I'm what I'm pausing with is just that I, I don't, I think that is the reality. I, I don't know whether I think it's part of the problem, but I think it's the reality. The way that we have set up our systems of government, for better or for worse, is that the more people that talk, um, and sadly, in some places, the more money they have, the more influence they have. And so I think the idea that these, this talking and this influence is being used here um, is not surprising. And I don't think it should be surprising. And I think that what we need to do as a community is not simply disengage from that conversation. What we need to do as a community is take the next step in our growth and become a part of that process, become a part of the conversation. And, and that's how we're ultimately going to be able to have an impact on the outcome. Ignoring this problem is not going to make it go away. So what I'm hearing is that, and by the way, and I think you know when you just hang out a few hours on crypto Twitter, that some of these people troll these regulators and they say nasty and mean things. What I'm hearing is that that stuff is not going to help. It's not going to help to bridge a gap. It's not going to help to create unity. It's ultimately going to hurt a lot of feelings and, and maybe make these regulators think this really does need to be heavily regulated. Look at some of the people out there in it. There's no question about it. The, you know, the regulator's job um, is to uh, make sure that there is order and certainty. And the more that they think 
that crypto is the wild, wild west, the more that they are going to think that they need to step in and do something about it. I mean, that again is just, it, we can pretend that's not what it is, uh, but it's not going to change the fact that that is what it is. You know, what I love David is your perspective is, and you're like me and this is that I'm not a crypto anarchist. I mean, there are some obviously out there that they want the end of every system. Me, I'm not saying every system's broken. I mean, there are fractures in it. But when we look at what's happening right now, there is a regulatory touch that's coming. And isn't that what's needed to bring this new group of investors in, to bring in the bigger financial institutions, to, to allow the fidelities of the world and to allow the ETFs of the world to come in, right? I mean, can I, can, I'll give you a personal example, okay? Liddy Capital, the entity that I formed, right? Come check us out. I ran a billion dollar fund. Right? When I successfully, when we started a new fund, most of the investors that have known me for the better part of the last 10 years, they're large institutional investors, endowments, fund of funds, people that have put together huge amounts of money on behalf of individuals. They can't invest. They simply cannot invest in crypto. It doesn't matter that it's me that's running it. It doesn't matter. And, and the reality is that here's the opportunity for all the investors out there, okay? Companies like Lee Capital or other real businesses that are out there, you're invested in those. The minute that the gates open for the big guys to come in with their capital, your investment is going to make a huge amount of money just because there's gonna be so much cash from these investors coming in looking for a home, the opportunity set is massive if you're out there to make money. If you're out there because you're an anarchist, then still, I would plead with you that if you're an anarchist, you're not in Africa or South America, where people need these securities to transact on a daily basis. These entities, these products that we've created are changing people's lives around the globe. And to say that it's either everything for us or nothing for anybody, in my opinion, is selfish. In my opinion, the, the hundreds of million or billions of people that are being helped by this, or who are going to be helped by this, they deserve better from this community than that. Uh, and again, it doesn't mean I'm with you. It doesn't mean that this, these assets, we started this conversation by saying these are community assets. I don't think that these community assets should be heavily regulated. But the internet would not be what it is for all of us right now if there was no regulation and if people said there would be anarchy. And blockchain won't be either. So I, I think it is, I think that we do need, like most things, um, there are people who want it hugely regulated, they're way off to one side. We have anarchists that are way off to the other side. And then we have the 90% of us that are within a range of reasonableness that is ultimately going to be good for everybody. I think that's valuable insight and it comes from a lot of internal counsel where you're putting yourself around people that are in the, the traditional and non-traditional space, some of the brightest minds in the world. And Newton said it best. If I have seen further, it is from standing on the shoulders of giants. And many times it is very challenging for some of us to, to look out because we're not putting ourselves around people that know more than us in many different areas. So David, talk now to those to the, to the new people, they're coming in, they're, they're going online, they're looking for content, they're, they're trying to learn more, they're, they don't know what to buy. There's 8,000 options, 9,000 options out there. 
I mean, really, what should they be doing? Should they rush in? Do they FOMO in on the first green candle? I mean, what recommendations, purely opinion only, what recommendation yeah. would you have? It's the same thing that I tell young people, right? If they're about to go on social media, uh, which is that do yourself a favor. And for the first couple months, don't post. Don't post anything. Just watch and see what happens. And that period of time where you just watch is invaluable. So I would say the first thing I would do is do nothing. Um, take time, see what happens, follow certain uh, tokens or tickers um, and pretend like you're going to invest. Go to some accounts where it's not real money and try it uh, and see how it feels. Uh, and then once you do that, invest in Liddy Capital. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You can do that, actually. <laughs> I, I, I you know what? I, I think it's person's about to murder me. But the, after that, yeah. what, what, what you really should do um, is understand that there is also a learning process to investing. All of the traders that you look up to, they have all lost money. And a lot of them lost money in the beginning because it's just like poker or swimming or tennis or football or baseball. When you first get out on the field, you're the sucker, right? And just like anything else, what makes you good is practice. And so, you know, well what you should do is do nothing. Start small, practice, practice more, practice more until that moment where you feel comfortable. And then when you feel comfortable, then put an amount of money that you're okay to lose in an account and use that and diversify it. So I, I think that, you know, those would be, that is the right way to go about it. And a little patience will save you a ton of money. That is great advice. And last time I was at dinner, and I was talking to uh, a group of people there, and one of them said to me, "But, but Dustin, aren't I too late?" And I said, "Too late. The stock, New York Stock Exchange, has been around for 130 years. Bitcoin was released in 2009. Like you are not too late. Actually, you're quite early, and so you're going to need a lot of patience. It's going to take a long time. It's not going to be overnight. It's gonna, it might take another 10, 20, 30, 40 years. That that is the problem that most people want it, and they want it right now. And what you're saying is." take a breath, sit back and watch. You're not too late. Make sure you make the right decision going in because you ultimately will own it. And your money, well, I doubt you, I doubt it was given to you. You had to work for it. Um, so how do we learn more about Liddy Capital? Yeah. So there's a question I like. Um, so look, you should go to liddycapital.com. Um, you know, we're trading on bitcoin.com today. Um, and, uh, you know, we're also traded on Uniswap. We are a real company. We have offices in Switzerland. We have a letter from the Swiss government. We're one of four companies in the world that actually have regulatory approval to operate. We are a safe place to put money because there's a real operating business behind what we're doing. Every day we're going out there, we're trying to make money. We're returning that money to our token holders. It is not a currency. We are an equity coin. We are an operating business. And from my perspective, the operating businesses like Liddy Capital are part of that next stage. There's currencies which have a value that we all agree they have. That's what a currency is. A business has cash flows. And those cash flows come whether you and I agree what that value is or not. 
So come check us out. Join us on Telegram, Twitter. Come to LiddyCapital.com. We think you'll like what you see. Thank you again for sharing your story on Tokenverse. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tokenverse, brought to you by FMFW.io. To learn more about the project heard today, visit FMFW.io. Follow our socials, and together we will free the money, free the world. See you all next week.